Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 46th episode of the PJ Archive. It's one of several interviews I've had the pleasure of doing with the internationally successful British singer Engelbert Humperdinck at his home in Leicestershire, England. This one took place in 1995 when the master balladeer and so-called King of Romance was promoting an album called Love Unchained. How many albums is this you've produced now? It's got to be around about, in my career of 28 years, it's about 54 albums or something like that, you know, that I've recorded. Do you um, remember them all well? Mm, not all of them. Uh, uh, the recent ones more in particular because it's being recent, you know, but I, I guess the early albums were uh, kind of close to my heart because they're the ones that established my career and got me on off the ground from the starving uh, pavements, you know, uh, of life. I always thought you'd have to have short titles for your albums because they've got to get your name on the sleeve, haven't they? <laughs> That's not a problem anymore, you see, because uh, Engelbert Humperdinck is a name which has been, thank God, has been spreading around the world. And uh, there are no more Engelberts, there are no Engelberts, and there are no Humperdinks, so... You're not altogether surprised by that, though. No, I'm not really. <laughs> But after taking it, I think I, I, you know, I took the name in 1965. That's as long as, actually, this is the first time I've ever mentioned that it's 65. Uh, it's a kind of a new situation. Uh, my first m- major hit was in Belgium with a song called Dommage, Dommage, when I first took on the name of Engelbert Humperdinck, which kind of surprised me and fell off a stool and, and had all kind of fits when I heard the name that I was going to take, you know. Have you ever regretted taking that name? Not at all. I mean, how could I regret it when it's given me such a great career, you know, of longevity? Um, but now I just I just go by the name of Engelbert. If you look at all the marquees now, they just put Engelbert up there, and it's it's, it's quite sufficient. It's like Cher, you know, <laughs> or uh, I don't know Elvis, you know. The new album continues the sort of King of Romance image. Is that something you're very happy with? Something you want to be doing, or is it something just to please the fans, really? No, no. It's, I think. Uh, the, the title was given to me many years ago by the press, you know, uh, not not chosen by myself or by my press people, my my own press people. It was given to me by the press, and uh, it's sort of stuck. And it's been st- I've stuck with it. I'm stuck with it, and it's been around the world. And everywhere I go, they say the King of Romance is in town, you know, which is kind of kind of great because when Elvis was around, it was the King of Rock and Roll. And uh, wouldn't you rather have been the King of Rock and Roll or the King of Soul or something? No. I think I think my style of music uh, is sort of what I wanted to do all my life. You know, I mean, not not saying I, c- I cannot sing rock and roll or or any other kind of stuff, but this is a this is a tag I'm pleased to be associated with. You know, and it's it'll be around for a hundred years, I think. You know, because romance will never die. I mean, you just can't uh, find a young lady and get married immediately without the courtship and without the, the you know the wooing and and listening to good music and dancing to you know nice stuff and it's it's something that will be around for the for uh, the rest of time really and i'm pleased to be associated with it but when you start out your career you go straight to the top of the pop charts and you're very hip and trendy and everything else do you kind of feel a bit uncomfortable about being in the sort of middle of the road section of the uh, it music is defi- it is definitely not middle of the road you know because no matter what you, what people say there are songs that you could say like for instance um, Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. I will always love you, Whitney. I will, I, yeah, ballad, mm. not a pop song. Middle of the road, number one, smash around the world. You know, uh, Unchained Melody, number one around the world, not middle of the road. 
Mm. We cannot determine what middle of the road is, you know, unless it's uh, by, I don't know, somebody who croons, and I don't croon. No, but it's fair to say that the older one gets, the more difficult it is to have a hit single, isn't it? Because the image needs to be young and vibrant. Definitely not. What about Tony Bennett? <laughs> well, I don't, he hasn't had a number one over here for a while. Uh, well, he's still a, he's on MTV. He's uh, very hot and very uh, at the top of his career right now, you know. But with a certain audience, I mean, do, you, do you kind of wish you could do, the sort of, do a Tom Jones-style comeback and do sort of rock stuff? Definitely not. Definitely not. If in the event in the future that I find material of a rock nature that is, is suitable to me and, and, it's, and it's commercial enough for me to record and uh, everyone agrees that this is what I should do at that particular time, yes, I'll do it. Yeah. Now, you're doing another tour here soon. Um, how often do you spend touring and doing concerts during the year and how much time do you spend relaxing? Do you kind of divide your year up? Yeah, I work for six months and the rest of the six months sounds as though I'm having it off, but I'm, re you know, that the time is up, but it's not off, you know, because I'm usually doing, I'm in preparation, and preparation is harder than work, mm. you know, and so therefore uh, I use that, utilize that particular time to put myself into a, a new show, into television shows, I do writing, I write my own songs, and, uh, you know, I, I'm into all kinds of things besides my golf and, and darts. Mm. <laughs> Now, whereabouts do you go in the world when you go on a tour? Do you do the same thing every year or what? I trip around the world now. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a world uh, tripper. I have just finished a tour of Australia, New Zealand, uh, Singapore, Jakarta, Taipei, uh, Bangkok, uh, Germany, Belgium, France, Holland, you know, uh, Australia, Japan, Korea, South America, Canada, United States, Great Britain. So you're big in all those countries? Well, I, I'm known in all those countries, and I, uh, I, to use the word big, it would be to be a little conceited. So I would say I'm known there, and I'm pleased that every country I go to, that I'm there, everyone knows Engelbert, which is great. Does it feel very special to do a tour in England, because this is really where you belong? It is very special. And that's one of the reasons why it's, I'm making it even more special by, by doing it in a different way. I'm going to do it on my Harley-Davidson, you know, and I'm fly, it's fly, as a matter of fact, I just arrived in the country this morning. What do you mean you're going to do it on your Harley-Davidson? You're going to arrive on the stage or are you going to sing the whole concert on the back of a Harley-Davidson? No, no, I'm going to ride it to the concert. Right. Yeah, instead right. of sitting at the back of a car, I'm going to ride it to the concert. Yeah, that's my new... <laughs> Not trying to be, you know, young, because you don't have to be young to ride a Harley-Davidson, you know. You can you'd be any age, and that's one of the, the great things of today, you know, that uh, there are doctors and, and politicians and, and, uh, and great actors of, uh, of a mature standard who ride Harley-Davidson belong to the club. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing it. You know, I, I want to be a little bit different, and no one does it, so I'm doing it. Now, while, as we say, you are popular all the way around the world, including England, you seem to be a very much American-style entertainer. Would you agree with that? No, I'm a world-style entertainer, because I can go to... Um, I work in Germany a lot. As a matter of fact, I'm, you know, quite popular in Germany, in Belgium, and France, and Holland, and... Uh, when I work in Germany, I do my entire show speaking in German. I, and I, if I go to, Sp to Spain, I sing, I sing, I use Spanish. I speak Spanish. And uh, um, so that's definitely not American style. But I do cater to using my American act around the world because it's, uh, it's universal. It's a universal act. And, and that's what I tend to use. I mean, I don't use American terminology and things like that. But I try to keep my entire act, even in America, very British. Do you feel you are British, essentially, or just international? I am British. 
I am definitely British. I mean, if you look, you look around you right now in my pub. This is a, this doesn't exist in my home in L.A. You know, uh, this is this is my the, the way I like to live. I like, I like my, I love my beer and I love the game of darts and uh, I'm very British. But to us, anyway, there's an extraordinary contrast between like the bright lights of Las Vegas and the outskirts of Leicester. Well, you've got to be able to adapt yourself to different parts of the world. I mean, I can I can go to Las Vegas and live in the Las Vegas style, which is, of course, a bit glitzy and things like that. But I don't... I, I'm only there for a week or something like that at a time, and it doesn't bother me too much. You know, I've, I've been playing it for 26 years, so therefore it's, uh, I'm kind of used to all of it. Although, today, it's a different Las Vegas than it used to be in, in 26 years ago. You know, it, um, it was very... It was very special in those days. You know, you could go there and there was just a few hotels, two, three or four, five hotels there. Now it's got dozens of hotels and it's, uh, it's not Las Vegas and it's not special anymore. You know, the strip is not the strip anymore. It's uh, a lot right. different. What percentage of your fans are hardcore people who've been with you all the years? I have a very large percent of the people who stayed with me through the beginning of, of my career to right now. I'd say I'm one of the few fortunate performers who have kept their fans uh, through the... And, and, you know, they, it's a funny thing. You see, when I was in uh, London doing Scylla's show, you know, uh, fans outside, there was the, the mother and the, and the daughters and the sons, you know, and the kids follow on, you know, from, from where the parents took off, which is kind of lovely, actually. It's a, and that's one of the... I would say my career has about um, uh, three generations of, uh, of age groups and I think that's what's given me the longevity, that you have a following which is sort of solid and substantial that can uh, withstand any, co- any critic or comment, and they, and they stick by you. They're very militant in, in, in their ways towards uh, uh, people who say derogative things about me. And uh, I'm very happy with the kind of following that I have, and it's the largest fan club in the world. And mostly women, of course. But the the loyal women, do they, are they the sort of ones who were once throwing panties at you and now throwing big old bloomers and things because they've got a lot older? Uh, no, we don't have the panties anymore. And I used to think it was a dreadful waste when they threw the panties on stage because uh, none of them fit me. And uh, I thought it was a dreadful waste, you know. Uh, it, it, it was a, a period, um, you know, in, our li- in my life where, you know, that sort of thing came about, you know, the keys, the, the hotel keys and the, t- and the panties and the bras and things like that. Have you ever had any genuinely worrying moments with fans, any sort of crank fans? There are. I mean, there's n- during, uh, the, there are worrying moments all the time, actually. Uh, there are fans who think that they are married to me, that I have, uh, that there are ch- children in their homes that belong to me, and uh, there are some out there that you have to be very, very careful with. But the majority of my fans are great. They're super. And they protect me against people like that, you know. Does this all also explain the Alsatians and things? Well, the German Shepherds are my uh, are my love. I love those right. those dogs. You know, I love all animals. I love animals. You know, at one time I used to have horses here. We bred uh, race horses, but having a little time in this country is what you know. We cannot spend a lot of time here, so uh, you don't spend time with that. And besides, my business my business didn't allow me to care for it in the manner that it should be cared for. So I I gave up that and uh, just keep my dogs now and my cats and. Can you talk us through all the different homes you've got throughout the world? Because whenever I read an article, there's a different amount of homes. Can you just talk us through exactly what you have got? I have this house, and I have the house in L.A., and that's it. I mean, I did have a home in in, uh, in Vegas that used to belong to a gentleman called uh, Kirk Akorian, who was uh, who 
originated the MGM Hotel and uh, who has the MGM, present MGM Hotel, which is one of the biggest hotels in the world in Las Vegas. And it, this house used to look like a mini hotel inside, you know, because I think a lot of the stuff was made from it. And it was an eighth of a mile long. But I sold that two years ago. You know, it was just an investment. And that's all I have. I have this home here and a home in, uh, in L.A. Is this one necessary because you were born in this area and you were brought up in this area and this is really where you belong? Yes, I, I think. I, I will always have a home in Leicester. It's very dear to my heart. I mean, most of my family live in Leicester. I have seven sisters and two brothers, and uh, and they all. Uh, as a, there's only uh, three of them that don't live in Leicester. You know, so out of the seven sisters, four of them live in Leicester, and, and they're in and around Great Britain. So therefore, we're on a close basis with each other. As well as houses, you're said to collect cars as well. Can you talk us through the number of cars you've got? Uh, actually, I don't have many cars now. I I, I thought that was a. Um, you know, when you when you first start, you think you have to, you know, you have to do all this just to be a, a celebrity, you know, sort of, so to speak. But I think it's it's not important anymore. Material things are not important to me. I think health is more important. Good friends and uh, and uh, family ties is important to me these days, you know. And so, therefore, I know I have a, a lot of cars. I still have cars, you know, about eight. But but there, we you know, half is over here and half is in America. So the novelty's worn off a bit, is it? Oh, yes, definitely. Mm. Except for my Harley. That's a novelty for oh, me. Yeah. Mm. Now, you're, in one article I read, you were said to be the 49th richest man in the world. What do you say to that? How's it, how about bulldust? <laughs> no. I tell you what, in my time, in my life as, as, as an entertainer, I'm probably one who has been ripped off the most in show business. I've had two British managers who ripped me royally off, you know, the royal rip-offs, I would say. Two of them. One was the original one, uh, and unfortunately he's not living anymore. But uh, and the one that took me on after him was another rip-off. You know, I'm not mentioning any names, but they know who they are. The house in LA used to belong to Jane Jane Mansfield, of course, and it's yeah. said to be haunted by her. Is that true? Well, it was when we first went there. Uh, I know people think you're crazy when you talk about um, houses having uh, spirits in it and things like that, but. They seem to follow me around wherever I go. We had one in, uh, when I lived in St. George's Hills in London. We had, uh, in Weybridge, yeah. We had a spirit over there. And then, of course, when I bought the house in L.A., I, was, I, I met Jane two weeks before she died in England, in the north of England. And we had dinner together and everything. She said, you must come and see my home in L.A. when you come to America. I, this was way back in 67, 68, I think, whenever the, the year that she passed away. I said, oh, lovely. She gave me a phone number, gave me the address. I said, I haven't been to the States yet to work, but I am coming over, you know. It was that address. It was that. And then two weeks later, I was driving down the Bayswater Road in London. I had my radio on, and I heard that she'd been in a a fatal accident, you know, decapitated. um, But I still sort of remembered her in a wonderful way, in a nice way, because she was charming when when I met her. Uh, Very intelligent, very bright, good conversation, uh, and a very... You know, nice person. Or, so, have you seen her since she died, as it were? Well, yes, I have. I've seen her. Uh, you see, actually, you never actually see her, her, the top or half of her body. I've seen her walking down the stairs, and she always wears a long, wears a long black dress. But she stopped visiting in the last six years. Why do you think that is? I think she's probably gone to a resting place. You know, uh, where the chosen place to go to. But uh, has this place got a ghost? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My wife said she's seen somebody here. Yeah. And he wears a cloak. Really? 
mm, in a top hat. Are you not scared by these things? No, it's the living that hurts you, not the dead. Because you're said to have special powers yourself. I've read an article about you doing some healing and things. What's, what's the story behind that? Six years ago, I had a viral infection that was quite serious, and I had it for about four and a half months. And nobody knew what it was. I had my blood taken. I was checked out by numerous doctors all over the world. And, of course, it scared the daylights out of me because I was constantly cold. My immune system had hit the ground, and it scared me immensely. But uh, nobody knew what it was, you know. The doctors checked it out, and no one, no one could find out what it was. But I was cold constantly in conditions of 110 degrees. You know, I would, I would be cold wearing a sweater. Did you think the worst was I AIDS did, doing I, the rounds of showbiz? I, I did think the worst. I mean, I, I knew it wouldn't be anything like AIDS or anything like that because, you know, I wasn't involved in that situation. But anyway, it, I did think the worst. And um, I went to see several doctors. Then I, uh, some astrologer friends of mine in Hamburg said, there's an there's a, a iridologist or an iridologist um, who lives an hour out of Hamburg, and he lives like a sort of a hermit, you know. And... and um, He's very good. He can maybe able to help you with holistic medicine. So I took the took their word, and they drove me out there. And I saw this man. He was a German who of um, about seventy years old, seventy one years old. He told me, looked in my eyes, and he said, "Yes, you have a viral, slow viral infection." And, and he said, "It may take a couple of years to a couple of years." You know, it kind of scared me. He said, "But I'll give you some med- medicine." He says, um, "And you take it for a month and see what happens." Well, I took it for about two weeks, and the, the infection had gone. And I carried on taking it for the entire month. And two months later, I went over to see him with my wife and my son, Scott. And we were sitting down and talking. He says, well, everything is all right? I said, thank you very much. I do appreciate it. He said, you know, I have two healers. I said, well, you want me to see a healer? And he said, you know, because I believe in healing. And he said, oh, no, no. He said, you're better than both of them. And he said, no. I said, what do you mean? And then he explained to me, showed me how to do it. And he said, I think you should be doing it for, uh, because when you've been given a gift like that, you should utilize it. Um, so he showed me what to do, and I've been, I've been using it on, on friends and people. I mean, I don't try to make it public because people think you're a bit, you know, oh, well, who does he think he is, you know, godson or something like that. I don't possess to be a, a person of that nature. I think you can help people. I do religious healing, you know. It's not, I ask God for help, and through me, through him, through me, I'm the instrument. I give heal- I, I give treatments to people, you know, and I've treated people with uh, with AIDS, the children who I'm involved with, the reach out in in America. I, I treat them. You can't really get rid of AIDS, though, can you? You can just ease their suffering, presumably. We don't know. Well, we hope we're going to get rid of it. You know, the children that are born with it, you know, don't live very long. And so it's this very sad situation because they're born into a world that they're not responsible for why they why they've got the infection and. Since the publicity came out about this, have you been inundated with people wanting you to heal them? Yeah, we get a lot of mail. Yeah, I have. I have had success with you know with, with a lot of people with cancer and with with as I said with AIDS and with stroke. And so I do it whenever I can, mm. you know. But I obviously I can't make public visits. I think people think you're you know an evangelist or somebody who's you know that they have down south in America mm. <laughs> who do the masses, you know. Mm. But the, he did tell me that that I have this gift and I should use it as much as possible. It's also in the tone of my voice when I sing. You could do, if you close your eyes and for three minutes and listen to the sounds, you could, uh, you can get help, you know, for sickness. It's been working, you know, it's been working and I'm very pleased about it. I don't talk about it a lot because I don't want people to think, you know, what you, exactly what I'm trying to say.
that's one of the reasons why um, I'm involved with it. How often are you there and how often are you here? I try to spend as, as many days as I'm allowed to spend in this country over here, you know, so... Um, but the rest of the time, of course, is, uh, is working or back in my home in L.A. When you say allowed, roughly how many days of the year are you here in this house? I'm about 60 days at the total. You wish it was more? I do. I do wish it was more. Uh, there's a golf club that I belong to right down the road here, and all the people are so fantastic and wonderful people, and, and they really make me feel at home, you know. Mm. And they, you know, they don't... Because being, you know, when you've got a name, people tend to shy away from you, but these people are so friendly and so nice, and and I've made a lot of good friends there, and uh, and I enjoy coming home. I love playing golf with them. I went on a trip with them, actually, and um, they have a dart match every year, and I I appear in the dart match, and I win it every year. (laughs) Perhaps they won't. They daren't beat you, perhaps. (laughs) No, no, that's not the truth. You know, I I am a good dart player. We'll have a game there. How unfair has the press coverage been, and how accurate is it? They say there's no smoke without fire, you know, and there's, there's been some smoke but no fires. Some of it has been true, but the uh, majority of it is uh, um, bulldust, you know. And I think they ca- the press can be unkind to you because they always should. Uh, as a matter of fact, I read an article this morning which was quite... Everything is going well, everything's going great and until they get to the end. And it said, said aging heartthrob, you know. And uh, no one can stop themselves from getting old. I don't try to be young or anything like that, you know, I'm accepting my age gracefully. You can't do anything about it. And they also call you, they call you a crooner, by the way. They call me a crooner. So it's terrible. Because <laughs> a crooner is somebody who has a nine-note range, eight or nine-note range. A contemporary singer is somebody who has a large range, two and a half octaves or something, two, two octaves to two and a half, which I have. What's it like when you have a friend like Elvis and, and uh, everybody's trooping around his house now and, and taking the mickey out of him, saying he's still alive and all that sort of thing? Does it hurt you? Uh, yeah, I, I think it, I think it's terrible. When they, you know, when they should have done that when he was alive. You know, mm. but uh, he's such a. You see, once you're a, a monumental name like uh, Elvis and and you've been in the business a long time and your music is is repeatedly played on on radio every day and it stays, it just stays, and you. you It'll, it'll go on for the rest of uh, time, you know. Even when you pass away, people always have something bad or good to say, mostly bad, actually. Did you feel sorry for him when, you, when he was alive? I regretted uh, not being able to say things to him. I wasn't close enough to be able to tell him about, you know, what was happening to his life. And I could see it happening, but, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. And, and I, uh, I wished I was close enough to tell him, don't do what you're doing, you know, and watch the people around you. You know, surround yourself with better people who will, uh, who could look after you and take care of you. Cause, uh, Do you think that's how you survived where he didn't, as it were? I think you learn a lesson from watching what has ha- what happened to Elvis, yeah. you know, and uh, and many other people in the, sh- in, the in the industry. Uh, you have to, it, yeah, it just teach you a lesson, and so you learn how to control your life a lot better. Have you got any souvenirs of Elvis? Or any of your yes, I do. I have the lightning stick that belonged to him. You know, the lightning, TCB? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have that. Taking care of business. Yeah, taking care of business. What about the specs? Have you had similar glasses? No, I didn't get his glasses, but, you know, uh, the man that made his glasses and makes mine, because I wear spectacles. And uh, over the years, you know, I've accumulated uh, 300 or 300, 400 pairs of glasses from this man who made Elvis about a similar amount for Elvis. And um, as a matter of fact, that, that gentleman now is, is a business partner of mine, and, you know, we own some property together. How would you like your house to be open to the public one day long after you've gone? Uh, I wouldn't. 
I wouldn't like it. I, I just wouldn't like it. I, I, I hope my, 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 my children take, take things over and, uh, and keep it private. That's the only way I'd like it to be. Presumably you'd like to be remembered, though, many years ago. I think you'll be remembered by your albums and uh, by, the, by your music and, mm. uh, and by TV shows or whatever that will be redone and, and put out you know, later mm. on. But I think, yeah, I think your home is a private property. It should be, remain private. Is it true that you and Tom Jones hate each other? No, we don't. I don't hate Tom. I, I, I don't like him, but I don't, I don't hate him. I think that's a very strong word. But we don't get along together, so... I just don't. Why don't you get along? Well, I tried to make friends with him, but it didn't materialize. So I said, "To hell with him." Is it true he punched you once? He had a go at you. He had a go at me. That's what I read. Yeah. <laughs> he would be very lucky to get a shot in with me. You know. No, he didn't. He didn't punch me, and I didn't punch him. Thank God. You seem to have had quite similar style of careers, if I may say so. Would you agree with that? More or less. More or less similar. Um, but I, my career right now is going in a, in, in a better fashion than I would want my career to have gone but like the way his is going. I mean, uh, not that I dislike rap, but uh, I, oh, there are all kinds of music that, that, that public like, you know, but my kind of music is melody and good lyrics and, and uh, long-lasting. I mean, nothing, I don't want to say anything bad about rap, but how many times can uh, you play a, a rap song that's going to be... Uh, Remembered. I can't even distinguish the words, you know, so how could you remember a song like that? You've often talked about going into acting and things. Are you, is that ever going to materialize? I have done some acting. Yeah. Um, I've made some movies that have not been very, very, very good, you know, because I've taken, it's been low budget movies, you know. Um, if any good parts come along and, and I take a, a sort of cameo spot in the movie, I'd like to do that as a beginning. But my career is singing and being on stage, live performing, and that's the way I, I want it to be. If I may say so, you used to have a bit of a medallion man image. Do you, is that something you deliberately shook off? Because you used to have the jewelry and the cycles uh, and everything else. I guess you go through those stages. Everyone does. You know, mm -hmm. go through the, the gold and the diamonds and things like that. And, uh, uh, as I said before earlier on, I said the material things don't mean much to me now, mm -hmm. so I discarded them. But do you look back at the old photos and think, what was I wearing? I know, I know. I mean, I... <laughs> I'm sure if Elvis was alive today and he looked back and, and yes. saw the same thing, he would do the same thing. Uh, but, you know, I've been fortunate enough to overcome all that. I, I try to live as normal a life as possible now. You know. mm. Your hopes for the future, for you and your family? Just long life and happiness, that's all. Right. Are you ever going to retire or are you going to carry on popping? No, everyone keeps saying that, but I'm not, I'm not going to retire. When the time comes, I, I won't get into a state where it's, uh, you know... Uh, I'll lose my... Once you lose your audience or whatever, uh, and the audience starts to dwindle, that's when I'll know where I'm going to retire. Never happened. I hope not. <laughs>